Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. We are in week four of our series in Genesis, and Chris is talking about the brutal conflict between Cain and Abel, and it's about as intense as it gets. It's a harsh and pointed reminder revealing once again the result of sin and the conflict it brings into our lives. The enemy's goal is to keep us isolated and doubting, but the good news is God is a God of second chances, and the choice is ours. Here's Chris. Welcome back, everyone, to Genesis. We're in week four of our series, and we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter four and five. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up there and get ready. Uh, But before we jump into the passage for today, um, I just want to catch those of you who are new up on kind of where we've been up to this point, because it all kind of builds on each other. You know, last week we learned that the story you're living will determine how you live. It will determine the, the, the morality that you have. It will determine the quality of your life. It will determine whether life goes uh, well or is, is difficult, whether you're pushing against the, the laws of nature or, or you're working with the way that God set things up. The story you are living will determine how you live. And this is why it's so very important that we come back to the beginning and understand our origin story. You know, if your origin story is, hey, we, we all just kind of happen by chance, it's all a big cosmic accident, then you're, you're, a, you're just a bunch of uh, cells that have no real meaning or purpose or, or existence beyond this life. And that has a direct impact on how you look at the world, how you interact with people. And last week, I used the example of the manifestation of that in a culture, a, a greater culture. So the, the, the Soviet Union, communist China, they are built on this idea that we are all a big cosmic accident. And so It's no big deal for a few very powerful people to oppress, kill, genocide, whatever it takes to maintain their power and get what they want. And that's how that ends up. They end up it's no big deal to, uh, to kill off the elderly or the infirmed or the, the mentally ill or, or babies. It's, it's just not a big deal because life really has no meaning. Now, in this country, we're a little bit different. We, we, you know, we were built historically, and as I said last week, we're kind of intentionally being led away from, from this, but we were built on the idea that in the beginning God created and he gave us rights and, and value, that, that we're created in the image of God, and because of that, every human being has inherent value. They are created in God's image. And so we don't go around murdering people. We don't, we don't go around um, treating other people like they're less, at least on our best days and when we're living out our, 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 uh, our beliefs. Now, that's not a universal thing throughout our culture. There are plenty of people who, who uh, ascribe to, to the idea that it's, it's all a cosmic accident and, and very much more so in the last 50 or 60 years, but we're also watching the decline of our culture. And so, you know, at the end of the day, you know, current events uh, with the, the whole battle going on in the Supreme Court with Roe versus Wade and, and all of that, this is where the abortion battle comes down. It comes down, it's not a political issue. It's not Democrat versus Republican. It's, it's, it's people who believe that life has inherent value and, and those that, that, that believe we're a cosmic accident. It's, 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 a, it's a moral issue and those are what, that's where the battle lines are drawn. 
All right, so that very much applies to who we are and how we live today. Your origin story, it's incredibly important. Now, this week we're going to be in Genesis chapter 4 and 5, and the story continues. It doesn't stop just after chapter 3. We're going to go on because all of this paints a bigger picture of who we are and whose we are. Um, in uh, This week we're going to look at a guy named Cain and his brother Abel and their other brother Seth. And what we're going to see is the downward spiral of sin. Sin seems to grow and get worse and the de-evolution of humanity as, it, as we give ourselves to sin, we, to the point that a brother kills a brother. Now, really important on the front end that you understand this, that Genesis is a overview of our origin story. It is not detailed. We'll cover a thousand plus years in five chapters. Okay, so there are going to be details that are going to be left out. If you're going here to, to put together every detail and come up with a comprehensive history of the world, you're not going to find it in Genesis. You're going to find the important points that God was trying to communicate to the people of Israel through Moses when he sat down and wrote the book of Genesis. And, and, and he didn't just write the book of Genesis, he wrote Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and Numbers. It was the first five books of our Bible. It is the first five books of our Bible. But it was a, started with Genesis, this history, so they knew who they were and whose they were, and then went on to lay out the law. And so it's a 60,000 foot overview. Uh, and in, in chapter one, they, they needed to know who their God was, that he wasn't just an idol like the countries around them worshipped or just a, a statue or whatever, but he was the God who was all-powerful, who created the heavens and the earth. And, and then in chapter two, we learned the original plan. It was, was kind of nice. It was, uh, it was the Garden of Eden. It was we were intended to, to not suffer from disease and, and not be plighted with um, evil and sin, but to, to live. And, and eventually we would have lived forever as we would have made our way to the tree of life. Last week, we learned why our world is so messed up and, and how sin came into our world and the effects that it had then and it, and it has now. And this week in chapter four, I want to expand on that and, and, and how that begins to unfold, this, this idea of sin in our world and why life is so difficult sometimes. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind that this is the Cliff Notes version, right? Um, there are things that Moses, as he sat down to write this, are going to assume that the people of Israel know because they've got those other five or those other four books. Um, and so there are things that we as Americans who are not Jewish and are not super uh, familiar with that won't know, and I'll try and point those things out as we go. Um, but they're reading this after the law is given, after Passover, after Abraham. They're familiar with the sacrificial system and all of that. So in Genesis 4, verse 1, this is where we're going to start. It opens up like a, like a Harlequin romance novel with Fabio on the front, and this is how it starts. Cue the music. You ready? Adam made love to his wife, Eve. Yow. All right, so that's how it starts. I love that the Bible is not squeamish about this topic. And in fact, in this chapter, we're going to have three lovemaking sessions. 
It's amazing, all right? So the, the Bible is, you know, God is not squeamish about sex in this topic. In fact, he designed it as we've talked about in previous weeks. The Bible is not a prudish book. So Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, and might I add the help of Adam, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, take a moment highlight or underline the word later. Now, I want you to notice what that doesn't say. It doesn't say next he gave, she gave birth to Abel, later. Historians, theologians believe that, that most likely there were other children in between Cain and Abel, right? We don't know that for sure, but, but our best guess is that there, there were uh, but though the, they weren't really pertinent to the story. So the, you know, again, five chapters, 1,000 years, we've got a lot to cram in here. So these are the two characters that matter, and that's who they include. So later, she gives birth. Now, Abel kept flocks. Abel grows up, and he becomes a shepherd. He's got sheep. He keeps flocks. And Cain worked the soil, so he's a dirt farmer. Cain is raising vegetables and grain, those kinds of things. And it says in verse 3, in the course of time. Now, this is a really important phrase for us. And the reason it's important is because uh, as, you, as you dig into the original language, the Hebrew that this is written in, in the course of time really translates best at the appropriate time. At the appropriate time, which is an indication that they had some kind of sacrificial system already set up in their relationship with God. Now, we know that the, the, the sacrificial system and the, the offerings and everything else that people would bring to God were not codified in the law until Moses, but these practices were going on long before that. And, uh, and, and so there was an appointed time, a, 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 a festival or a holiday or something where they would bring sacrifices and offerings or whatnot. Well, it says Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Cain gets a little upset. He's jealous that his brother is, is, is his offering is accepted. He's mad that his isn't. He's kind of angry with God. He's pouting a little bit. His face is downcast. Now, the, the question that I, I think the logical question to ask is, what was wrong with Cain's offering? What, what, what did he do wrong? I mean, he was a farmer, right? He brought some of what he produced. Why, why is that a problem? And I think the answer to that question really goes back to the, uh, goes, goes back to the sacrificial system that we'll see codified in the law later through Moses, this was a practice that they were, they were doing even then. They, it was not, Cain brought zucchini, right? I mean, zucchini is, is that vegetable that everybody has too much of, so they bring it to church and they leave it in the, in the lobby. They'll, they'll put it in people's cars in the parking lot. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's left over, but it's, it's a zucchini, right? Don't bring zucchini to church. No, bring ribeyes. 
we'll talk, all right? But, but the, more importantly, Cain's zucchini was not a blood sacrifice. The Israelites would have known this. They would have been very familiar with this because they had lived through Passover. God had established the, the sacrifice of animals for the forgiveness of sin. Without blood, it's, there's no remission of sin. And for, for them, they understood that sin is a capital crime. You deserve the death penalty for it. When you rebel against God, you deserve to die. And you're like, well, wait a second. If I were God, I wouldn't set it up that way. But you're not God. And that's probably a really good thing. Guys, the reason we feel that way is because we compare ourselves to one another. We'll look around and say, well, you know, I, I, I might struggle with this, but at least I'm not, you know, that. You know, even in prison, prisoners have a hierarchy of badness. You know, the pedophiles are the worst. They, you know, they're the ones that get shanked in jail because, you know, I might have robbed a bank. I might be a murderer, but at least I'm not a pedophile. And we compare one another, right? And so, well, I'm so much better than them. I, you know, what's the big deal? But when we compare ourselves not to one another, but to a holy and perfect God, we're all criminals. We all deserve the death penalty, the punishment is death. So God sets up this sacrificial system that the people of Israel, as they're reading back over this 60,000-foot view of their history, they would have understood that it, an animal can be sacrificed to buy some time. It's a, it's a temporary payment on my shame and sin. Last week, I said, said the, the, the sacrifice will, will cover your shame for a period of time. It's like a... Um, it's like an interest-only payment on a loan. It buys you some time till the next payment is due. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Now, when Jesus shows up, he lives a perfect life, a sinless life, and then he lays down his life, the Son of God who is without sin, as, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he pays for sin once and for all. Not an interest payment, but he pays for the principle. It's done. And at the end, he says, it is finished. All right. All that is important background because the fact that there's, that, that uh, Cain brings a zucchini, there's no blood. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Hebrews 11 verse 4 says this, by faith, this is the writer of Hebrews is talking about the faith of the people of the Old Testament. He brings up Abel. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. What is faith? What is our working definition of faith? It's, it's trusting God enough to do what he says, right? That's faith. That's practical faith lived out. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. Abel was willing to obey God. He brought he brought. Uh, he brought a blood offering. He brought his first. He brought his best. Cain, on the other hand, was disobedient in his offering, not what God called for. It wasn't his best. It wasn't his first. Notice what it says. Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. That's how I know it's zucchini. All right, so he, he brings the leftovers, some of, of what he had raised. Now, in Scripture, there's, a, there's what we call, and we see this all the way back to, to the fourth book of the Bible, and we see it 
moving forward through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. Two, two issues when it comes to bringing offerings and sacrifices to God. And, and the first is this, we, we are to bring our first. It's called the first fruits principle. And, and what it does is it teaches us to trust God for the rest. And it says to God, you're first in my life. It's, a, it's an act of worship. And so the first fruits principle worked this way. They would take the first fruit uh, or uh, or in, if it, you know, in, in, in this case, the, the, the first uh, part of what God had blessed them with, and they would take it and they would bring it to God or they would exchange it for a lamb and bring that to God. Um, and it was, it was from the first. And, and so what's the big deal with that? Well, the, the big deal is they didn't have crop insurance. They didn't have, um, they didn't have irrigation. So there's, there's really no guarantee that the rest is coming. They're saying, God, I trust you so much. I'm going to bring you the first. I'm going to trust that the rest is coming. But more importantly, you're first. I'm going to bring God the first. And, and, and that principle applies to our, 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 our offerings, our tithes, our, in, in this case, our sacrifices. And then there's the best fruits principle. God wanted them to not bring a, you know, the, a, an injured animal or a, or a defective animal, but the best the best fruits principle. And we see this in verse four, it says, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the, what? The firstborn of his flock. So there's your first fruits principle, the firstborn of his flock. He brings them, brings them the first, but he brings them the fat portions. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that's not the best. Well, it was up until about 1965 when the federal government decided that fat was bad for you. You know, back when people were thin. Um, and, and, and now that we know fat's bad for us, we're all overweight. I, it's a completely different sermon. But the fat portion, if you know about what part of the meat is really, really good, it's the, it's the fat portion. It's the, like, it's the ribeye, right? Chris and after church a couple weeks ago, we went, uh, we went to Kroger's and picked up some steaks and went up to my house to grill. And, and, uh, and he was like, well, you know, there's a filet. And I'm like, I'm not going to let you get a filet. That's not the best part. It's too lean. Everybody knows the best part is the ribeye. It's marbled and fatty and it's delicious. Well, certainly in their culture, they understood that. That was the best part. So for Abel, this is a three-part win, right? He, he obeys God. He brings a, brings a blood sacrifice. He, he, he brings the firstborn, so the first fruits, and, and he brings the best. He brings the fat portions. He's listening to God. He is by faith, remember it said in Hebrews, he did what God said. And, and Cain, Cain just brought some zucchini. He brought what was left over. It wasn't the first, it wasn't the best. They're probably nasty zucchinis. But anyway, that brings me to the first point, which is this. The details matter in the offering you are bringing to God. The details matter in the offering you are bringing to God. Obedience is really, really important. And this can be your time, this can be your treasure, this can be your talent. Do you bring to God what you have to offer him on your terms or his. Now, a blood sacrifice is no longer necessary because Jesus died once for all. And the, the Jewish sacrificial system kind of came to an end not long after Jesus. And, but our sins are forgiven because he was sacrificed on our behalf. We don't have to do that part anymore. 
But the idea of first fruits versus our leftovers, that's still in place. This is why when we teach on, on giving and tithing, we encourage people before you sit down and write out your check, before, before you write out a check for anything, before you pay any other bill, write your tithe check first. And it's a powerful statement saying, God, I trust you that the rest of it is going to cover it. I trust you. And, and I, you get, don't get the leftovers, you get the best. And it's amazing how that principle works to bring blessing into our lives. And, and then the second part, the best. You know, do you give God your best or do you give him what's left over? I mean, and, and I think specifically in the areas of, of gifts and talents and time, you know, there are some of us who you could be, you've got the, you've got the skill set to lead a life group or start a ministry or do something pretty profound in our community. But, but you're like, you know, if, if I could just hand out a program, not that there's anything wrong with handing out a program, so please don't hear me saying that. If that's, if that's your best, then bring it and bring it good. And we need great people welcoming people into church. So please don't hear me saying anything disparaging about that. But some of you, you've got capacities that you're spending entirely on your career, and you're just like, give me the easiest thing that I can do so I can mark off the list that I gave something to God. Well, is that your best or is that the rest? And it challenge you because that's really, really important. All right, point number two, God is the God of second chances. In verse six, we see it says, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? You know, if you would do what is right, you will not, will you not be accepted? The answer to that question is absolutely yes, he would. It's a rhetorical question. God's saying, look, Cain, you messed up, but you know what? If you do what's right, you're going to be accepted. But if you, and this next part's kind of stunning. He says, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God offers Cain a second chance. Yes, you messed up. Yes, you disobeyed. But you know what? Let's just make it right. You can still make it right, brother. And, and, and he said, and, and be careful. And this is, so, this is so apropos. I mean, because so many times we take a step into sin and we're like, all right. And it's that next step that really gets us. It's like, okay, well, God says, you know, I can go back and, and make it right. And we just keep taking steps, which is exactly what we see Cain doing. He keeps making the wrong choice. But God, God is the God of the second chance. Ultimately, he demonstrates that by sending Jesus Christ to die for our sins. He wants us to win. He wants us to be forgiven. He wants us to choose him and be in relationship with him. And as long as you're alive, he gives you the opportunity to go back and make it right. But ultimately, as we see here, there's a change, not just in my sense of remorse, remorse, but in my obedience factor. Like my behavior has to change. That's what he's telling Cain. You know, you, we hear the word repentance and we think of the angry preacher on the street corner going, repent. Like somehow it's, 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 it's the punitive judgment of God, but really what it is is God, not the angry street preacher, but God saying, you know, repent. 
It, it, it has elements of, yes, I am sorry, there is remorse, but it also literally means to turn around and walk in the opposite direction. That's what God's telling Cain. Turn around, walk in the opposite, go back and bring me what you should have brought me in the first place. It'll all be fine. But if you choose to keep going in the wrong direction, it's not going to end well for you. Sin's crouching at your door. It will take you over. You know, as we follow Jesus, Jesus Jesus leaned on this, this idea of repentance pretty heavy. And he said, you know, follow me, put your faith in me, and the forgiveness of sins follows. Well, what is faith? Again, back to our definition, working definition of faith, trusting Jesus enough to do what he said. It's, it is a sense of remorse, but it's also a sense of obedience, of a reality of obedience. Jesus told his disciples, go make disciples of all the world, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We have a choice there, don't we? But God definitely is the, the, the God of second chances. Point number three is this. We get to decide if we will receive God's grace by what we do next. And what Cain does next is not good. He chooses wrong. In verse 8, it says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. His rage, his jealousy, his anger, his, his disappointment with God, it all comes out on his brother Abel, and he kills him. And it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And at that point, God smacked him. No, he didn't. But if I were God, I would have smacked him. But it's good that I'm not God. In verse 10, it says, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You're not going to hide this from me. I'm God, I know. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. He's like, Cain, you used to have a green thumb. Everything you touched would just grow and bear fruit, and it was amazing. Now you're that guy who every time he gets a house plant, it dies. You're just not going to be able to grow anything. Um, and you're going to be a restless wanderer on the earth. Well, in verse 13, it says, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land, which was where he got his sustenance from, his income from, so to speak, his identity from, all of that. He's, he's gone, the consequence. And he's like, and he says, so you're, today you're driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Now I know what you're thinking. Who's going to find him? Right? I mean, where, uh, there's going to be other people who, I mean, like if Adam and Eve are the first people and Cain and Abel are their, their kids, and I got to be honest, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't. I mean, again, we're talking about a thousand year period of time. There were more kids than just these two. Uh, when you, the number of, of kids that could be born and families and tribes that could split off over that period of time, I mean, it's all speculation. But the, the, the average lifespan at this point in time was 912 years. I know, there's another question there. We'll deal with that in a minute. But if the Bible doesn't explicitly say 
I'm just, I'm just kind of guessing, right? Now, it's fascinating to start pulling this apart and speculating about, you know, about the creation scenario, about, about, uh, about what happened here, about who, I mean, we can come up with all kinds of theories and there are all kinds of theories out there. And some of them are wrong. Most of them are probably wrong. And, and, most, and all of them are speculation. And it's okay to, to, to get in there and try and tease that apart and, 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 and read up on all of that. But listen, don't get distracted from the main point. That's what we tend to do. We get, we get distracted with things that we can't know for sure, and we miss the things that we do know for sure, and that is God requires our obedience. He wants our first and our best. He offers us grace when we repent. What we do next matters big time. Well, in verse 15, it says, But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. So the Lord's promising to protect him. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. I have no idea what that mark was. I have no idea how that worked. I mean, did he get a life is good t-shirt that says don't kill me, God says? I don't know. I don't know what the mark was. But I do know that God promised to protect him even after he killed his brother. God has mercy on Cain. It's the heart of God. Well, in verse 16, it goes on. It says, so Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife. Here's our second steamy scene. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son, Enoch. Now, what did God tell Cain that he was going to do, that he was going to be a wanderer on the earth? And what did Cain then decide to do? Settle down and build a city. Hmm. Cain continued to try and do life on his terms rather than God's terms. What would have happened if he would have just repented and accepted God's God's punishment and God's, God's presence in his life and begun to do the right thing. I think this story turns out differently, but it doesn't because he continues to disobey God. What he chooses next matters. Well, several gen generations later, Cain's um, great, 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 great grandson, Lemek, shows up. And Lemek says... In verse 19, Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. So now we have got a situation where it, it, as we look at, as the generations go on, we see the de-evolution of society and of morality as sin makes its way throughout the human race. And, and so now we've got God's original design. He made a man and a woman. He put them together in perfect intimacy, man and wife. And now Lamech has two wives. We've got a polygamy going on here. It's, it's, it's kind of a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a, it's a mutation, an ugly mutation from what God had designed life to be. In verse 23, it says, Lemek said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lemek. I just had this conversation with Christy the other day. 
They said, listen to me, wife of Chris. It didn't go well. Uh, I don't know who says that, but, they, but, but he does. He's, he's kind of full of himself. And again, you can see into the heart, the darkness of his heart and how much sin has taken hold. He says, look, I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for just injuring me. I was walking down the street the other day and this guy bumped into me and I killed him. Wives of Lemek. He says, and then he goes on. He says, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lemek, 77 times. I didn't just kill him. I killed him again and again and again and again and again and again, and I liked it. See, if God's going to take care of Cain, I'm going to take care of me. And he, the, the brute, you just see the brutality. And we can watch as humanity descends into more and more wickedness and sinfulness, and this is the trajectory. And in verse 25, it says, Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son named Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So we see in Cain's Cain's story and his lineage, this kind of uh, unraveling of, of morality, unraveling of humanity, the increase of evil, the choice to, to go down the, the, the road of sin, which, which is just totally corrupting his line. We, it's a, almost like a picture of a, of a kingdom that, that is going terribly wrong. And then Seth is born. And Seth, when Seth is born, he begins to call on the name of the Lord. He's a, he's a God follower. And we will see this, this other kingdom, this other line kind of unfold uh, as well in chapter 5. In chapter 5, we see the lineage of, of Adam, but really it's the lineage of Seth. It's down through Seth's line. And... and um, and my point, my first point here is, is, is just this. You get to pick the kingdom you will live in. You get to pick the kingdom that you will live in. This is what it says in verse 1 of chapter 5. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. All right, 930 years. Got any questions? Yeah, so do I. I, I don't know. It's all speculation. How do people live for 900? I don't know for sure. I mean, there's some really interesting theories, but here's what I know. The Word of God, everything that can be checked out, has checked out, does check out. Countless atheists have set out to disprove the Bible through archaeology, through historical textual criticism, all of that, and and so many have ended up becoming followers of God because it just checks out and it checks out and it checks out. But we can't check this out. We don't know. It's, again, speculation. It's, you know, before the flood, we do know this, before the flood, the world was different. The, 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 the environment was different. Um, genetics were different. Obviously, there was not an issue with, 
with uh, marrying your sister back then, you know, the genetic uh, decomposition that has happened over, over it, it was just different, right? So maybe there were genetic reasons that people lived so long. Maybe it was atmospheric reasons. Uh, one theory is that there was so much, the, that the concentration of oxygen in the atmosphere was, was uh, way higher than it is now. And interestingly enough, the Israelis have just recently completed a study studying hyperbaric oxygen therapy on older people. And what they found is that hyperbaric oxygen therapy extends life. It extends actually the marker in your genes that determines your biological age. And, and they've been able to grow that marker by 37% in just two months in hyperbaric oxygen therapy. So maybe the, 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 the part, of that, part of that theory is like, you know, animals were bigger, the dinosaurs had, you know, land animals that big. How did that happen? Well, maybe it has to do with the oxygen. I don't know. And, it, it, you know, and it's, at some point, God, as we will read in the weeks ahead, God says, you know what? After the flood, we're, we're going to shorten lifespan. But does he, is that a hard, hard stop? Or is that a, we're going to change the genetic and atmospheric uh, properties? I, I don't know. I mean, it's all speculation. Don't get too caught up in all of that. Don't miss the point. All right. Well, generations later, we see... Um, we see uh, Enoch is, is, lives for a very long time. And in, in, in verse 21, you can read between uh, verse 4 or verse 5 and verse 21. Just read the whole chapter this week. But in verse 21, it says, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. And this is the interesting part. Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. Okay, this is different. First of all, he doesn't live 900 years, at 365 years... God reaches down and lifts him off the earth and uh, because he was walking with God. He had this, this relationship with God. Now, he's the great-grandson uh, great or the son of Methuselah, and, um, and so he's, or, or I'm sorry, the, the son of uh, Seth. And, and so, again, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And we see down Seth's line, these people like Enoch calling on the name of the Lord. Now, there's only two other people in the Bible who didn't die. Uh, a guy named Elijah, the prophet, and another guy named Jesus. Maybe you've heard of him. And so something significant about this guy's relationship with God. And so even in a world that was sinful, he chose to obey God and found favor with God in the midst of it. And what we're seeing are two kingdoms unfolding, the God followers and the God rebellers. And there's chaos and wickedness and evil and misery around the God rebellers because that's where that ends up. Well, you go down 10 generations and you end up at a guy named Noah. You heard of him. He built a boat. We're going to talk about Noah next week. But he is Seth's great, 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 great grandson. And by the time we get to Noah... There are only eight God followers left. What happened? Well, 
They're all on Seth's side. We see that kingdom. But even Seth's side is infected by sin as it is spreading and getting worse. And there are only eight people left who are choosing to follow God, choosing to obey God, even in Seth's line. Well, next week, we are going to look at Noah. But this week, I want to challenge you to wrestle with a few questions. These will be in your notes, uh, or, or you can write these down. But take, take a question a day if you want. But spend some time meditating and answering these questions as honestly as you possibly can. And the first one is this. Do you trust God enough to do what he says? You can pick the area. Maybe it's an area of finances and giving. Maybe it's an area of, of what you're doing with your time. Maybe it's, a, it, it's an area of sin that you struggle with. Do you trust God enough to do what he says? Second question is this. If God gave you a second chance, what would you be willing to change in how you're living to take that second chance? If God gave you a second chance, would you be willing to change how you're living to take it? Third question is this. If the answer to question number two is yes, what do you need to do next? And the fourth question is this. Which kingdom do you want to live in? The kingdom of Cain or the kingdom of Seth? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of chaos? That is an important question to answer because everything else, every other decision you make will cascade down from that. But we have to step back and look at that picture. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I pray that you would, um, would help us to wrestle with these questions authentically. Lord, that, that at the end of our lives that we would have chosen to trust you enough to do what you say in every area of our life that we're aware of, that we would know relationship with you, that we would know your grace and your forgiveness. Lord, and that we would trust you enough to do what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.